Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What I love most about this crazy life is the adventure of it. Juliette Binoche. I was bringing my pack into my tent at night and I put it down by my feet and I left trail mix in my hip belt and I was you know in my tent in the shelter where there's mice and some in the middle of the night I thought I was dreaming because I could hear things scurrying around and I could see that I opened my eyes I could see their shadow on top of the tent and they were basically like I feel like it was like ratatouille where they're just like belly sliding down the tent like whee there's food in here and um, I didn't realize until the morning that they had chewed a hole through the tent, through my hip belt, and they were just feasting on trail mix. And I was so, so devastated. I cried. Like, oh, my tent has a hole. My pack has a hole. This is awful. I'm so upset. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right, let's get to this week's guest, a through hiker who is calling in from the deep south. And by the deep south, I mean Antarctica. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Anne Marie Athey. How's it going, Anne Marie? Good. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, so I, this is a first. Mm-hmm. This is a first for the podcast. I have talked to people who have visited Antarctica, but I have never had somebody call in directly from Antarctica. <laughs> Very cool. Now, you are a through hiker, and we typically go by trail names here on the podcast. Have you picked up a trail name during your uh, your AT hike? I sure did. Yeah, I am Zips. Zips. And I, I noticed that there are three S's at the end of Zip. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that kind of goes along with, with how how I got the name. Um, did I tell you that? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. I just want to know, because it has three S's, does that mean when I when I call you by, by your trail name, I have to extend the S sound? I have to say Zips? No. <laughs> or or is, no, is no, it just for spelling? No, <laughs> just for spelling. Just for Got spelling. <laughs> okay, so let's hear the story. How did you How did you come by Zips? Uh so early early days on the trail, and I was camping with a couple of guys in in the evening, going through my you know nighttime get ready for bed routine. And when I started, I was so waterproof. I had everything in dry sacks and inside of the dry sacks, there were Ziploc bags and inside of the Ziploc bags, there were Ziploc bags. (laughs) I think I was completely nervous that everything was going to get wet if it rained. Um, And I made a lot of noise in the evening. Once we'd all said goodnight, we're in our tents. There's the constant sound of zippers and zips. And the next morning they're like, dude, your zips there's, you can't even reject that. (laughs) And then, so then the three S's is because of the insane amount of zips that there were. <laughs> I love that. I, I love, you were really prepared. <laughs> Nothing was going to get wet in your pack. I mean, you had bags. Oh my gosh. Bags, no. And I bag. lost all that stuff so quickly. <laughs> as soon as I realized how ridiculous it was. <laughs> so how, how much extra weight were you carrying just in bags? I mean, just to make sure that everything oh, was Oh, I have no dry. idea, but too much. <laughs> <laughs> some people shed weight by you know leaving behind uh luxury items or maybe uh, certain types of food you shed weight by just getting rid of the ziplocs yes definitely <laughs> okay now zips have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before i have yes i've listened to a few episodes down here actually the the john freaking your pod has been playing in antarctica it sure has. It's been playing. And for the other members of my team, they've listened to it as well. So not just myself that has enjoyed it, but, but others. Nice. You know what that means? That means that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to zip to the top of the charts in Antarctica, <laughs> you know, the, the, the podcast charts, they've right. broken, you know, by country. <laughs> and so I, I fully expect to see my, you know, the John freaking Mirpod number one in Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Zips, I asked you because I want to make sure that you are aware that we have a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Okay. Okay. 
It's time for a current event. Oh, hey, we're going to throw in a current event this episode. We do that occasionally. Um, I will pick a headline from the news and you and I will have a chance to, to discuss it, share our ideas, you know, our thoughts on this. And I thought this would be perfect because you are in Antarctica right now. And I saw a headline about Antarctica the other day, and it's about Antarctica's doomsday glacier. Do you, are you familiar with that glacier? Oh, yeah. And I don't know how to say it properly, but the, the Thwaites Glacier, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you went first yeah. on that because I don't know how to pronounce it either. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Thwaites <laughs> as well. It's T H W A I T E S, and it's roughly the size of Florida. And scientists have been keeping an eye on this because if it uh, if it if it collapses, then it's going to result in some serious uh, sea level change. Yeah, like two feet, I think. It's funny because people, you know, being down here and then everyone back home, as soon as something pops up in their feed about Antarctica, I get like inundated with messages about it. So that one actually has been coming in recently. So I have read some of the articles about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there have, uh, it's been said uh, two feet, like you like you said, it could be a two feet raise, rise in sea level. Um, but also I said, if it's, uh, I said, I, I've read, that scientists have also estimated that global sea level could ultimately rise about 10 feet if it collapses because it acts as a natural yeah. dam to the surrounding ice in West Antarctica. That's exactly where I am, West Antarctica. Okay. So the and first thing I did when I read the first article was look out the window to see if I was going to end up underwater, if I was okay. And I think I'll be Okay. <laughs> Now, were you able to, to, to run out there and uh, trot out across the ice and just check on the glacier firsthand, put some eyes on it? <laughs> I'm not that close to it, but, but I have, I've been walking on the ice for about four months now. Okay, and let's talk about that. What, what exactly are you doing in Antarctica? Um, so for the past four months, I have been a food services steward. So... I'm at a research station called McMurdo. It's the U.S. station down here. One of, they have got three. Um, and so it's like a little, it's an old Navy base. So it has kind of that feel to it. Um, and there are scientists here during the Austral summertime. So that's the past four months. And then it takes a village to, to keep the station going. So everything that you kind of have in normal life, you have mini version down here. So it's communal living. You've got two to four roommates. And then there's a galley to feed everyone because there's no restaurants or grocery store or anything like that. So we all eat communally as well. And I keep the food, keep the food coming, keep the galley clean. I wash a lot of dishes. <laughs> It's it's all in the name of science, and it's awesome. Now, yeah, I, I was wondering about that because I saw I saw in our notes that you're a steward down in Antarctica, and I was wondering. You know, you think of Antarctica, and you're thinking, okay, people are doing research down there. That the, you know, pretty much everybody mm -hmm. who's on, on the on the continent has got to be a scientist. But then, if you think it through, no. like like you said, it, it's a it's a a village. Uh, some of the uh, the scientists may not have the skills to cook or fix stuff or, you know, whatever else it, it, it's going to take to live down there for an extended period of time. So you've got other people there from varying walks of life as kind of support staff. Yes. 
Yep. And, and during the summer, there's anywhere from about 900 to 1,200 of us, including the scientists. And then that drops down to about 150 people for the winter. Um, and it's everyone. You've got um, me being a food services steward. You've got the cooks. You've got janitors, uh, fuelies that keep everything gassed up, running, uh, carpenters, HVAC, everything. You got everything. <laughs> wow. And we're going to talk a little bit later about how you came by this job and how long it lasts. We'll go into some more details on this. But uh, sure. first, I want to. The Must Bring Gear Review. Go to the Must Bring Gear Review. Let's get back to the trails for a second here. Uh, and this yeah. this is a feature we've been doing this season called the Must Bring Gear Review. And it's sponsored by the Ultralight Backpack, Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. Zips, if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day, or in your case, a multi-month hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Zips, what is your must-bring piece of gear out there on the trail? Must-bring piece of gear is definitely going to be around my sleep because sleep is so important. Uh, so my sleeping pad, and that's a Nemo Tensor Long and Wide. It's also a luxury item. <laughs> nice. Yeah, got to get a good night's sleep. Now, the Nemo, does, is that the one that has, uh, one of the ones that has that special coating that sounds like a potato chip bag when you move around on it? No, I don't think it's super noisy. I think it's pretty quiet compared to others. I mean, they all make noise, but it's not, it's not bad. Okay. Now, in terms of, uh, in terms of your hiking experience, did you, were you pretty much a solo hiker or did you, did you camp with a, or, or hike with a group? Um, I started off alone and then I actually met someone like on the second day mm -hmm. and we ended up hiking the whole trail together. Okay. And we didn't it, hike together in the very, very beginning. We just kind of hiked around each other early on. And then probably two weeks in, we, we just, we were together. Okay. I was going to ask if you ever got and stuck I started, with somebody in camp oh, that had one of those squeaky sleeping pads <laughs> yeah there's always there's always noisy people <laughs> yeah. all right yeah it'd help us uh, keep talking about gear it's the hiking pole we're going to go to the hiking pole and that's pole spelled p-o-l-l -L, like a survey not like the thing you carry in your hands and this is a seven question survey that's going to help me assign you a score from one to a hundred on the sanity scale where one is completely insane and 100 is completely sane. Now you have to know right off the bat that anybody that's done one of the American long trails, there's an automatic 25 point deduction. And I think there's an additional 10 point deduction. I'm looking back in the rule book here for anybody who's currently stationed in Antarctica. So your, your top score, sure. <laughs> your top score, if you do excellent on this, on this poll, your top score is 65. How do you feel about that? Excellent. Makes that's sense, right? <laughs> Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Now, if I were to ask some of your your uh, your fellow bunkmates or uh, maybe uh, friends down at McMurdo Station, where would they rate Ashley? Right, I'm sorry, Ashley. Ath your last name is Athy. Uh, Anne Marie. Where would they rate Anne Marie Athy on on the sanity scale? Do you think you get a high score? You know, indicating a lot of you know 
fairly sane behavior or are you, are you below the 50 range? Uh, maybe like 50, 50, 50, right? It's all about balance. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's get going here. Seven questions. First question, we'll start off with an easy one. When you're out on the trail, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. Okay. And why? It's always Definitely. good to give a little explanation to you know see which way, if that adjusts the score up or down. I cannot imagine having my pack on my back and not having trekking poles in my hand. It's like a game changer. Your knees, four points of contact. <clears throat> Excuse me, four points of contact. Yeah, definitely trekking poles. Okay. Question number two, what's on your feet? Boots or trail runners? Trail runners. And do you have a specific brand for those trail runners that you prefer? Yes, I was in Ultra Lone Peaks the whole time. Okay, very, very popular. Actually, I think I did wear, I, I had a pair of Timps as well at mm -hmm. some point. Mm -hmm. some Timps, but always Ultras. Okay. Now, when you first got into hiking, did you feel the pressure to wear boots? Because, you know, that was just your, your impression of what hikers do. They wear boots. Oh, for sure. In the beginning, I was definitely in boots. And I also had a lot of blisters. <laughs> yes. Not on the AT, but when I first started out hiking, yep. Right, and so how? Tell tell us about your realization that you know what boots is not the way to go. Maybe I should try something else. Um, I met through hikers, and they all had trail runners on, and <laughs> and that was it. There you go. You saw the part. experts in action, and you looked at your feet and said, "I'm I'm doing something wrong here." I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number three, when it comes to your shelter system, do you, do you like to have a tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or you say, hey, let's just cowboy camp? I am a tenter. Yep. I, I did cowboy camp a couple of times, but tent through and through. Okay. And what kind of tent do you carry? Uh, big Agnes Copper Spur. Oh yeah, that's a popular one too. I think that that is consistently among the the uh, when they do the survey each year that 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 appears at the top of the list for tents. That's a great tent, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we talked a little bit about the sleep system, but um, question number four: Do you use a sleeping bag or a quilt? Quilt. A quilt. Okay. Did you start off with a sleeping bag? Tell us. Tell us about that evolution. Um, before through hiking, I had a sleeping bag, but as soon as I got into to backpacking, I switched to a quilt. Mm -hmm. And what, yeah. what kind, what brand of quilt do you use? Enlightened Equipment mm -hmm. Revelation. Okay. Another popular brand. Yeah. It's even on my bed down here. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. Nice. It yeah. has, it yeah. has uh, multiple applications. It's not just for backpacking. Yes. Okay. No. <laughs> Question number five. When it comes to food, uh, do you use a stove? Do you cold soak or do you do stoveless? Stove. Stove. Have you run into any cold soakers out there? Uh, yeah, I did see cold soakers and, and just people going, you know, ultra, ultra light without the stove, but that's mm. not for me. I like a hot cup of coffee and a hot meal. Mm -hmm. Do you Most start each day with a, with a cup of coffee? 
I do. Um, more than one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number six. Is life better above or below the tree line? Above or below the tree line. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it's great being above the tree line, but for camping below the tree line. I'm sorry, did you decide on one of those? Um, oh, can it not be both? <laughs> it cannot be both. I'm, I'm pinning you down. Okay, okay. Okay, um, be below the tree line? It's hard because I don't know. Is the question like for sleeping or is it for just in general during the day? Because it's nice being above the tree line for the views, but I don't want to sleep above the tree line. Yeah, the question is open to interpretation. You, you can take it any way you want. So, Okay, well, I'm going to take it that it's not for sleeping and I'm going to say um, above the tree line. Okay. Wow. That, that was, that was a rapid, uh, twisting route. We just took there. We arrived at above the tree line. Nice. All right. And question number seven, what's more important pack weight or luxury items? Oh, that's also a difficult one. Cause I definitely had luxury items, but pack weight is also important. Mm, pack weight. Okay, and what was your base? No, I'm changing it. Oh, I'm changing it. I'm going okay. with <laughs> indecisive luxury items. Luxury Nothing crazy. Like extra, but... extra Ziploc bags. Extra Ziploc bags, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your luxury items. So what, what was your base weight and what are your luxury items? Oh, my base weight. I don't even remember what my base weight was. Probably somewhere around 18, 19, 20, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, luxury items. My sleeping pad because I didn't need a long and wide, but I, I'm I'm a side sleeper and I kind of roll around, so I wanted to be able to have that extra space. Um, and then battery banks. I was blogging the whole time and took a ton of pictures, so I carried two two battery banks, and those suckers are heavy. Yeah, they are. And then. My food bag, my food bag was ridiculous. It, I, I hiked with, I mentioned earlier that I hiked with someone, his name was Snacks, and he would get so frustrated with me when I resupplied because I carried extra food all the time. And there was definitely a fear that I was going to run out of food. So also luxury would be the amount of food that I carried. <laughs> yeah, we definitely pack our fears, don't we? Uh-huh, for sure. Now... I like I like the fact that that you have a long and wide sleeping pad and a quilt because I'm also a side sleeper and that's why I, I don't really care for sleeping bags. I kind of feel constricting to me. And this idea yeah. of the, the long and wide, I mean you, you can move around quite a bit that I would imagine on that and still be able to, you know, stay comfortable. Yeah. No flopping off the edge and the thing popping up in the yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, Zips, Zips, bear with me for a second here. I've got to go through your indecisive answers and come up with a uh, a score for you. I've got to run this through the John Freaky Mirror algorithm. Uh, see, I got I got to carry the two. We're going to divide by root three. We're going to multiply by pi. This is, this is complicated. Uh, I've developed it over the years. 
And I need to adjust this particular hiking pole for the thickness, the current thickness of the Thwaites Glacier. And I come up with a score of 46. You're just south of that, that midpoint line there. Oh, all right. I'll take it. <laughs> and it, it, it is the, the fact that you're in Antarctica that, that pushed you below the, the 50 percentile right there. It, uh, uh, that, that, that 10 points, you could have been above the 50, 50 uh, point line, but, but you're below. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that score has a chance to it. adjust either up or down throughout the rest of the interview. We'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about uh, your background, where you grew up. Uh, did you play any sports and hobbies in, in high school? And how did you get in, involved in through hiking? Uh, let's see. So I'm an Air Force brat. My dad was Air Force. So I was born overseas in Germany and moved around quite a bit. My mom happens to be English. So my my was Germany, England, Texas, back to England, Oklahoma, Virginia, and then England. Um, so all over the place. And what else? That's kind of Gro where I live. Up, growing up with an English mom, did you ever uh, pick up or or use an English accent as a as a child? I did. Yeah. I had an English accent until we got to Oklahoma, and then I was in elementary school, and it snowed in Oklahoma, and I it stood up in my class and said, my mommy says that I can have people over to come build a snowman, and I got laughed out of the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this very specifically, because I think my accent went away very quickly after that. Everyone okay. was running around saying snowman, snowman, and then it was done. Uh, done for. <laughs> Kids are mean. <laughs> Kids are mean. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> now, did you pick? Do you uh, play any team sports or individual sports in high school? Um, in high school, I was still horseback riding. I was in pony club and did eventing, which is where you do like dressage, stadium jumping, and then cross country. Um, and then as far as like actual high school sports, I tried out for the volleyball team every single year because I'm, I'm five, nine, pretty tall. And I thought, okay, I'm tall. I'll make the volleyball team. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't actually know how to play. And I also found out later that we were like state champions. So it was really competitive and I just was completely ignorant to all that. So I never made the team. And then when my senior, June, I think it was my junior year, they introduced lacrosse and pretty much anyone who tried out got on the team. So I played lacrosse. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It, two, two different, uh, the opposite ends of the spectrum there. You've got a, a, a program that is state championship caliber and you've got a brand new sport. And so yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some, there's some odds to be factored in there in terms of making the team. I was just oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did, how did you get involved in through hiking? Did you do a lot of camping as a family when you got, when you were growing up or how did this all come about? Uh, we did some camping growing up, but it was, it was car camping most of the time. And we would go on day hikes as a family. Um, but through hiking was much more recent. 
Um, I lived in Northern Virginia and close to a trailhead. And when COVID hit, I stopped going to the gym and started trail running. And so I was going to the same trailhead over and over and running on it after work. And my best friend's husband found out and asked if he could come and just hike with me one weekend. And so we were hiking on a Saturday and he's like, we got to get you off this. You just keep doing the same part of the trail over and over. And I was like, what do you mean part of, I didn't even realize that, you know, I'm on the 18. It goes from Georgia to Maine. I just thought it was this little section hike that I'd been doing over and over. And so he explained and he's like, yeah. And there's even these huts and you can, or shelters, you can sleep out here. Like, Um, And so that was like the very first spark. And then this is kind of embarrassing, but I was also on dating apps and I was swiping away on Tinder and came across someone who was through hiking the AT because the trailhead's in the vicinity. So they're like in the radius. And because I'd had this seed planted about um, the trail runs from Georgia, Maine, and people do the whole thing. My best friend's husband telling me all that. Um, so when I saw this guy was through hiking, and he, I live pretty close to Harper's Ferry, so we arranged that when he got to Harper's Ferry, I would come meet him after work for pizza and ice cream to talk to him. And in my head, it wasn't even the date. I just wanted to talk to him about through hiking. And so basically, it was a, an interview. <laughs> um, so I went on a Friday and drilled him on all things through hiking. And then by the end of the conversation, he's like, why don't you come hike with me for a few days? And it just so happened that the next weekend was 4th of July. So I had a couple extra days off of work anyways. And I threw caution to the wind and went on my first backpacking like overnight trip. And it was five days. We started at Penmar. Um, on the Maryland PA border and did the first 60 miles of Pennsylvania. And I cried every day, tears of joy. I was like, Oh my God, I have to do this. And that was it. I came home. I sold my couch immediately because I might have been a little hasty and thought that I could just pick up and start hiking immediately. (laughs) Uh, And then I lived without a couch for a year (laughs) because it, it takes a little more planning to do a through hike. Um, yeah. And so fast forward a year from there, I, I, I did the AT. Wow. Wow. So, so many questions about that little, uh, (laughs) segment we just covered there. A lot of great information. I love the fact that you were on a dating app and you, you swiped on a guy who was doing the trail and you, and you met up with him for, for pizza and ice cream. This guy, this poor guy, he's thinking, okay, this is a date. There might be some romance involved and, and you're there purely to collect data, to collect information, do some research. I even invited a friend that was a hiker. I was like, Oh no, it's totally cool. Like you can come along, pick his brain with me. And he would have, but she said no, because she was like, you're crazy. But yeah, I was like, this is an interview. It's not a date. (laughs) And then he asks you to go hiking with him for a few days and you say, yes, and I have to imagine this guy's thinking, oh, this is this is really going in the right direction. This I've got her hooked. And and little does he know that that you become hooked on hiking, but not him. <laughs> yeah. And my friends were so terrified for me. They're like, You're doing what? 
<laughs> no, you're crazy. You're going to die. And I didn't, obviously. <laughs> you made it. You made it. Now, what do you do to pay the bills when you're not working in Antarctica? Uh, so I was a banker for about 14 years. And the through hike kind of culminated as an exodus from banking because it paid the bills, but it was full fucking. So I knew when I quit to do the through hike that I would not be going back to that. I mean, look at all now the upside look, in Antarctica. Look at all the upside <laughs> here in through hiking. Not only were you crying tears of joy out there and you just love it, but it also got you out of a soul sucking job in banking. Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. Everyone, you know, I think I, I obviously had a little fear like, okay, have I lost my mind? Am I having a midlife crisis? Uh, but I also knew that it was going to be okay. My family were kind of like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> they started calling okay. professionals. I'm doing great. Thinking that you might need some help. <laughs> you had really lost it. Now, tell us about how you ended up down in Antarctica. Where, where, where did this idea enter your mind? Uh, so going on the whole, a little bit of spontaneity, um, like when I sold my couch to through hike, I was then <clears throat> after the hike unemployed and my grandmother, who I call Nana over in England, cause all my mom's family are over there. She had Parkinson's disease and was kind of at the end, at the end of that and so I moved to England after the through hike to go to go spend some time with her. And I ended up being her caretaker for the last five months of her life, which was an amazing experience. It was it was a very trying experience, but I'm I'm this was just another thing, right, that the through hike enabled me to do, to be in a position to go and spend five months with her. Uh since I didn't have a job. <laughs> um and then also, my dad was back here in the States on the liver transplant list. So I had a whole lot going on after wow. the through hike. Yeah. Um, and, and I had agreed before going over to England to be his primary caretaker once that call came that there was a liver available. So I kind of went to England knowing that I'm going indefinitely, but a phone call is eventually going to happen and I'm going to have to, to come back to the States. And so five months after being there, the phone call came for my dad and I went, flew back to the States. He had the transplant um, before I got back. So he was still in the hospital. And so began my time caring for my dad, which was a lot more trying than caring for my Nana. I love them both dearly. I love you, dad. <laughs> but Father and daughter is a whole different relationship than than Nana and granddaughter. Um, and we were both going crazy because he was in a lot of pain. And, you know, we're, we were stuck in this makeshift hotel room down in Richmond because the hospital that he had the transplant was about three and a half hours from where we live. So we were sharing a hotel room and, and that was for an extended amount of time. And, and 
and that's hard. <laughs> We're in a very small space together after not living together for a really long time. Um, and so I was surfing the internet, dreaming of being anywhere but that hotel room as much as I loved him. And also researching because I knew that when the time came when he was all healed and, and able to live independently again, I would I would take off and continue because the whole point of quitting the job and then doing the through hike was to then live kind of nomadically and get seasonal work and just travel and, and see the world. So I was looking at, at what that would look like and just trying to get ideas. And I was scrolling away on social media and came across a job ad. I think it was on base camp, um, outdoor jobs, or I think that's what it was called, um, for being a steward in Antarctica. And I was like, what's this? And clicked on it and read about it and thought, that sounds insane. And did a little bit more research and found out that people apply year after year after year to get down here and don't get down here and thought, well, I'm not that invested in it. I never even thought it was a possibility. And so I kept scrolling, looking at other stuff. And about five minutes later, I was like, you know, you don't know unless you try. So I updated my resume, matching those keywords and submitted an application on a Saturday and then on Monday, the phone rang, and I was offered an interview for Tuesday morning. And then the rest is history. <laughs> Holy and the running joke with my family is uh -huh. that my dad and I were butting heads so bad and driving each other crazy that I came all the way, and I'm not at the South Pole, but pretty close to it. So I had to, like, run as far away as possible to get away from dad, which is not true. <laughs> I was going to make that observation, but you beat me to it. I was also going to say that isn't it funny, <laughs> the, the sequence of events in our lives that lead us to where we end up. I mean, the fact that you absolutely were doing some trail running and then your, your best friend's husband told you about the AT, you know, it's, it's one conversation that, that, you know, can change your whole trajectory. It is. And I love that. I love that so much. So when I, and I, if I can digress here, because you mentioned like the one that like one conversation or just one thing that can change everything. When I was like, I graduated high school and was doing my associate's degree. And I met a girl that was an au pair in the county that I lived in, in Virginia. And she was from Sweden. And I was so envious of all of her travels. And I was working at the bank part-time during high school and then full-time afterwards, but taking night classes. And I was just so envious of all the places that she'd been. And we were at dinner one night and I was telling her this and she's like, well, why don't you travel? And the next day I went into the bank. Well, maybe not the next day, but I put a little research into it and, and I moved, I moved back to London to go to college after that to finish my bachelor's degree because I'd gotten my associates but there weren't any colleges nearby in Northern Virginia that I could do my bachelor's and it was like that one little conversation where she just said well why don't you travel and I'm like oh, you know what why don't I and I always think what if I'd never had that conversation with her where would I be because then that led me to do Peace Corps after I finished college there and that was another instance of a conversation because I graduated from college, but had itchy feet to keep traveling and called my dad back in the States and was like, Hey dad, I think I'm going to go before I like figure out a career and all that. Now that I have a degree, 
I'm going to go teach English in South Korea. And he was like, well, if you do something like that, you should do Peace Corps. And I'd never heard of Peace Corps before. And so I did sat down at the computer and did a little Google search and then had those same tears of joy that I cried when I was out on the AT reading about Peace Corps. Like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And then I got to move to Morocco for two years in the Peace Corps. And that was, that was another amazing experience. And it's just those little conversations. That's the coolest. I love that so much. Yes. You know, there is a tremendous amount of societal pressure on kids, on expectations, on what, what society thinks you should be doing. And it's these little conversations yeah. is like when the universe is talking to you. And it seems oh, to yeah. me that you've done a fantastic job of listening to the universe. And you, you, you know, through these conversations, like, through these chance occurrences, you, you've lived... Uh, an amazing life that has taken you all over the world, including down to Antarctica. Oh, thank you. I love that. I love that so much. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get uh, some words from our advertisers and we're going to come back and we're going to find out about your uh, Appalachian trail hike. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. 
With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Anne-Marie Athey, a.k.a. Zips, uh, who is calling in from Antarctica. And we heard a little about her her childhood and her her incredible path to now calling in from McMurdo Station to talk on the John Freaky Mirpod. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about McMurdo Station. I have to confess, and I can't believe I'm confessing this on the podcast, uh, but my wife and I recently have have kind of found ourselves intrigued and watching, it's a guilty pleasure, watching Below Deck. Are you familiar with that show, that reality TV show? Is that the one where people work on yachts? Yeah, like super yachts, mega yachts, you know, very expensive to rent out. I think I have. It's, you know, the crew a couple lives, episodes of that a long time yeah, ago, they live below deck and they, you know, you've got the deck crew and you've got the, the housekeeping crew and you've got the chef. And, and as you were describing McMurdo station to me, I had these comparisons running in my mind to below deck because you've got the captain of the ship, oh, and for sure. the guests, but then there's a whole other support staff there to make sure everything goes as it should. So I'm thinking they should do a reality TV show from McMurdo station. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, it's also like a social experiment. I feel like putting all these people together that are living and working and recreating together, like, yeah. Yeah, any, any, any drama down there at McMurdo? Oh, there's tons, all the time, yeah. <laughs> you, you care <laughs> to offer up an example? Or, That's our form or, of entertainment. Yeah. You care to offer up an example? Or is um, it, is it uh, you don't want to burn any relationships? I don't know. Well, I mean, in, in a general way, I knew coming down that there, the term ice wife existed, which is like married people come down, but then not together. One of the spouses comes down and then they get an ice wife and, and that's a real thing. And I knew that it was a real thing, but I didn't know to what extent. It's, it's kind of insane. If because you're down, there, you're down there for months, right? Yeah, and we recently got Starlink. They took it away for the past few days because they're stress testing it, but, like, you're pretty cut off as well. Like, you've got 150 people, or sorry, not 150, like, 1,000 people using the equivalent of one household's bandwidth for Internet before Starlink. Um, So you're pretty cut off. I mean, if I wanted to post to social media, I could sit at the computer for hours to try and do that and then not be successful. So... Yeah. And you can't get incoming calls. It's like, yeah, you're kind of cut off. That's been hard. I don't want to date myself and I'm not sure how old you are zips, but that that kind of harkens back to the day of the, you know, the 14, four dial up modem. Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm 38. So I get it. Yep. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about um, how long are you down there for? What, What is the, the exact length of time that you sign up for? 
You signed up for, well, I signed up for summer season, the Austral summer. So I arrived mid-October, which was a little late because there was tons of plane delays getting down here. So you go to New Zealand first, and then they fly you from New Zealand onto the ice. And it, it takes a lot because the weather is unpredictable, as you can imagine. Um, so I think I was supposed to be here on the 7th, and I didn't get here till the 17th. So I got this really cushy, nice vacation in New Zealand beforehand. Um but October through February is a summer contract through the end of February. Okay. And in terms of uh, pay, what is what does a steward make down in Antarctica for a season? <laughs> um, okay, so we're the worst paid position on station. Uh, but I knew that coming in, so it's totally fine. You don't have any bills or expenses because it's like your food, laundry, everything's included. Like. Um, but I make $600 a week. Okay. Before tax. Now, now, in terms of all the jobs down there, which one is the hardest to fill? If I, if I want to apply and use the correct buzzwords and, and get down there, what, what job should I be looking at? Hardest to fill would yeah, probably I mean, be one of the more technical where you have to have certifications and, and, oh. and it takes like a skilled worker because- no, I, that's not going to maybe help. not so many people with those skills are going to come I'm, want to be away from family and come down here. But I think that for a steward, they get there's 30 of us and they get like 3,000 applications every season. Hmm. So I got really lucky. Yeah, I sure. need to find an unskilled position that nobody applies for. Otherwise, I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, t- take us through it uh, real quickly before we get to the hiking uh, stories. What's a typical day for you down there? Typical, typical day. Um, there's no, most of the days are not the same other than the actual job itself. So you work six days a week. My contract's 54 hours. So it's a long work week. Um, so I work, I'm at work for 10 hours. I get breaks mixed into that about two hours worth of breaks, but I am like, tied to a tasking board for those 10 hours and and it's a rotation of you know scrubbing pots and refilling condiments and refilling it's a buffet so keeping the food out all that kind of stuff when I'm actually at work um and then outside of work I have have part-time jobs (laughs) um I work in the retail store it's like a gift shop and a convenience store mushed into one so sometimes I work there for an hour or two before work in the morning. Um, and there's a, they call it the gerbil gym where there's treadmills and bicycles and equipment for working out. So I, depending large, on the morning. Large I'll, spinning, large spinning wheel. Yeah, large spinning wheel. Um, so either the gym or a shift at the store. And then there's a nice little library. So if I am looking for quiet time, I'll go to the library and I volunteer in there to be able to, to have to eat to get in um outside bartend on friday or saturday nights there's two bars down here and there's a huge huge drinking culture and i don't drink so for me to be in the bar and bartending puts me in the social scene but on the other side of the bar which is nice um you're 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 part of the coherent you're part of the coherent social scene very much so yeah. yeah (laughs) um there's hiking trails so if the weather is decent i i go out and go for a nice 
little hike looking for penguins and seals and skuas, which are the birds that are down here. Um, yeah, and then just hanging out with friends. There's a, You don't have a lot of downtime, and that's why I'm constantly sleep-deprived because it's really tricky to, like, find that balance between sleep, socializing, and working. And then also just finding, like, quiet, private space. There, I'm just always surrounded by people. It was difficult to find a place to call in for this because there's two phones they're kind of near the cafeteria is called the galley. So there's two pay phones that aren't, they are actual pay phones, but you don't have to use coins to operate them. But you're sat there with the noise of the dishwasher and the music coming from the dish pit. And I was like, that's going to be too much background noise. So I had, it took a lot to find a quiet spot. So where, where are you people. right now? Where, where are you exactly? I am in the office of the retail store. Okay. And are you calling in from a landline or a cell? Okay. No. Cell surface is no. not, not good down in Antarctica, I take it. No. <laughs> <laughs> when Starlink is up, that that's nice, but that's just temporary. They're doing they mm. gave us like a free trial until March tenth and then it goes away. So you're calling in from the landline in an office of a retail store down at McMurdo Station. Yeah. <laughs> Slick. That is that is awesome. Now, if, if we're looking at McMurdo Station from above, describe what it looks like. I mean, you have a thousand people there. How many different buildings are there? Is there like one main building? I mean, what, what tell us conceptually what it was it look yeah, like? Yeah, if you if you looked like on Google Maps, I think you could probably see this giant blue building, and that's what I'm in. That's the main building that holds the galley, and then there's dorms above that, and there's stores in there. Um and then all around that are other dorms um, and warehouse. It's just like a lot of corrugated metal buildings. And it's, I don't know, I think it's like a, maybe a mile wide or a mile. And yeah, I have no idea. It's not huge. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that you would see are like massive fuel tanks with the NSF logo stamped on top of them. Got it. But we're right on the water, which is pretty cool. It's water right now, but most of the year it's ice. Okay. Uh, there's and a little bay have... where the cargo ships come in and bring us our supplies. Right. And do you have roommates? During the summer. I have two roommates at the moment. Yes. Um, okay. And then there's there was a third. So there were four of us at most. There is a fifth uh, possibility of a fifth because there's a bunk bed, but that has never been occupied, which is nice <laughs> and then yeah. my roommates are also it's a 24 operation down here so you have people that work at night so my roommates both are what we call day sleepers so i couldn't call from my room because there's two people sleeping in it right now got it now have you picked up That's an ice husband quiet space. have i picked up a what an ice husband no. Or an, or, or an ice wife. I've avoided all of that mess. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> all right. All right, let's talk about some hiking that's not down in okay. Antarctica. Let's talk about the Laurel Highlands. Where, where are the Laurel Highlands, and what kind of hiking did you do on in there? So the Laurel Highlands are in Pennsylvania, and near 
the, uh, what is it called? Ohio pile, which is a state park. Mm-hmm. That's one of the, um, terminuses. Is that the terminus? Um, and that was my shakedown for the AT. So when I decided to do the AT, I, I knew that I needed more than just the five night section hike that I'd done with the tender date. Needs a little more practice. So I kind of did a Google search of trails that were near me because I didn't want to go on the AT. I was like, I don't, I'm going to do that. So I don't want to go play on there knowing that I'm going to do it anyways. And I found the Laurel Highlands hiking trail. L-H-H-T is the abbreviation. And actually there was a lady at work who a mutual friend had explained what was going on. And she was like, oh, tell her about the Laurel Highlands Trail. And she had done it. So she put me in touch with a woman that lived up there nearby, uh, a trail angel. And I got a little more information from her. And I had 10 days of vacation to play with. So the trail's 70 miles long. And I knew that that, I, like, I wanted to max out the 10 days and be hiking for the 10 days. Um, but I knew that 70 miles wasn't enough to to do like full 10 days so I yo-yoed and that was my shakedown I started I parked my car in the middle and I went I think I went north and then I turned around and went to the southern terminus and then I turned around and hiked back to my car which was nice because I had a resupply sitting in my car to get me through the, through the 10 yep. days that's awesome. That's well planned out. Nice idea. Yeah, it was cool. It's they call it um, Pennsylvania's little luxury trail, though. So it was like my ease into things because I had never solo hiked backpacked before, um, and it was a very nice intro because there you have like designated camping spots. So I had to plan my mileage out, um, and then there's like three walled shelters at each of the camping spots, and you have to reserve in advance. And you get an entire shelter to yourself, which is very different than the AT. Um, and there's bathrooms, not like proper flushing toilets, but like pit toilets, but like a building, not just a privy, if you will, like a maintained bathroom with teepee. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is like glamping. Oh, totally, totally. And I was so new to to camping and being out there by myself that I put my tent up inside the shelter every night. <laughs> It was also November and freezing. It was very cold. I'm I'm seeing a trend here. We've talked about ziplocs inside of ziplocs inside of ziplocs. Now we're hearing about <laughs> you inside of a tent inside of a shelter. This is great. Yeah, and when I when I posted because I was you know all up in social media and I was in like the AT through hiker page and I put a picture like oh I just did my shakedown hike and put a picture of my tent up in a shelter and oh my gosh got attacked. <laughs> you can't do that. And then someone that was familiar with the trail came to my defense and was like, she's not on the ET. You can do this. You have to reserve these. But I totally got annihilated. <laughs> <laughs> got blown up. I thought you were having fun out there and then uh, opened yourself up to criticism. Oh, totally. <laughs> now, what did you learn about yourself? You know, you had done, you had done five days with a Tinder date on the, on the, uh, on the trail. And now you, you are solo hiking out there doing a, basically 140 miles doing a yo-yo of the Laurel Highlands trail. What, what'd you learn about yourself during that experience? Um, I learned that I'm tougher than I think I am. Right. Mm-hmm. 
that sense of accomplishment that comes at the end of stuff like that. That's that's incredible. And and you know, you overcome a lot of fears while you're out there. At least I did. Yeah, tougher than I think I am. Nice. Nice. And that's Dad, a constant lesson. Like I forget that and I <laughs> I have to have another lesson to remind me. Yeah, the 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 you know, what people are able to accomplish is just amazing. And since you're in South, 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 you're not, you're not in South America, you're in, you're in South of the world, you're, you're in Antarctica. Since you're in Antarctica, um, an example of that comes to mind with Shackleton and the endurance. The fact that oh, he yeah. had like 300 guys on this wooden ship that gets trapped in the ice and he, they're, they're gone for two years. They're missing for two years during World War One. you know, Europe could not send help because they're embroiled in a world war. And you know, the, the trials and tribulations that he and his crew went through, including, you know, the boat being destroyed, dragging the, the, uh, the lifeboats across the ice for, you know, hundreds of miles, getting into the ice for uh, life rafts and sailing for Elephant Island, which they could have missed if they were just one degree off uh, one way or the other, but they finally made it to Elephant Island. And then from there, uh, going back to, I think it's is it St. George, Prince, Prince George Island. Um, to finally go, they have to, they ran, they, they landed on the wrong side of the Island, uh, away from where the, the city was, they had to go overland, uh, four or five of them and, uh, arrange a rescue mission to go back to elephant Island, which was, uh, didn't have the resources for people to survive long on there. And everybody lived, nobody died from that yeah. during that time. I, I, I mean, I holy cow, are you kidding me? Yeah, my brain can't even comprehend that because we are spoiled with so many luxuries down here. And to think about that, it's just like it make your head explode. Yeah. So we are we are capable of a lot more than we think than we think we are. And it's it's uh, amazing to have those revelation revelations out there. Yeah. Okay. Did everything go as planned on the Laurel Highlands Trail, or were you surprised by anything? Um. Anything. I had my first my first gear issue and it was it was kind of my fault I was bringing my pack into my tent at night and I put it down by my feet and I left trail mix in my hip belt and I was you know in my tent in the shelter where there's mice some in the middle of the night I thought I was dreaming because I could hear things scurrying around and I could see that right open my eyes I could see their shadow on top of the tent and they were basically like I feel like it was like ratatouille where they're just like belly sliding down the tent like whee there's food in here and um I didn't realize until the morning that they had chewed a hole through the tent through my hip out and they were just feasting on trail mix and I was so, so devastated I cried like, oh, my tent has a hole. My pack has a hole. This is awful. I'm so upset. Those darn varmints. Did you use uh, the the trusty duct tape to to fix that? No, no. I left it as it was. I didn't. I was scared to put duct tape on it because I'd read that you shouldn't leave the gooey gooey marks. I just left the holes, and then I stopped tenting in the shelter. And I also was very diligent and checking my pack to make sure there was no food. I think I probably didn't bring my pack in my tent again after that either. Okay. Less and the good one. news was that the, 
that trail is, I mean, there's mild elevation gain and loss on that trail. And the main game was that morning. So I was able to go hike it out. All that frustration. I had to go straight up. <laughs> do some, do some rage hiking, work it out. It totally was. <laughs> nice. All right. So you obviously had a great experience on the Laurel Highlands trail because the next year you decided you're going to do the full AT. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, AT was amazing. I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I started down in Georgia. I started late because of the whole situation with my dad. Um, when I, I had to get to a point where it was okay to leave him. And that wasn't until, uh, the end of April, beginning of May. So I started in Georgia, May 1st, my mom drove me down and dropped me off. Um, and then I did, I did a very strange hike. So I went from Georgia to the Southern entrance of Shenandoah national park. And then I flipped up to Maine. So I took Amtrak up to Maine and went south to Harper's Ferry, which is right by my house. And then I got off in Harper's Ferry and went back down to the southern entrance of Shenandoah and hiked north again home to Harper's Ferry. So it was a very flippy flop, flop, flip. <laughs> yeah, so what, tell us the reasoning behind flip-flopping like that. Um, what? So I mentioned that I met Snacks shortly after I started the trail, and then we kind of hiked together. And we were slow. We were very slow. Snacks, Snacks was a a, par, a a bit of a party boy. He liked to stop at the hostels and hang out. So our zeros would turn into two or three day zeros. I probably had because it took me seven months. I started May first and I ended in the beginning of December. And there was probably a month of zeros mixed into that. Um, and I I can't completely. I'm not blaming Snacks for that, but. It, large large um component of the slower pace of you snacks <laughs> Got it. um so i was chasing weather by the end of it i was trying to see warm <laughs> right get the uh the northern part out of the way before the uh the colder weather descended yeah Got it. yeah definitely and was it strategic to then go back to shenandoah and hike hike uh, like you were hiking towards home to harper's ferry it was, yeah. I didn't want to just end randomly at the end of Shenandoah. I was like, that, that's not going to have a lot of meaning. I would rather like be in Harper's Ferry when I finish because it's so close to home. And mm-hmm. my family came out and were waiting for me at the end. I wanted that. Nice. Not now, having Katahdin at the end of it. I wanted there to be some kind of fancy ending. <laughs> Yeah, and t- take us through those those final steps as you are you're heading home to Harper's Ferry. You've got you know twenty twenty one hundred and fifty miles under your your trail runners, and you've got your family as a uh, a welcoming welcome home committee. What was going through your mind? Yeah, um, it was bittersweet. I was really cold, like I was waking up to frozen water, having to thaw stuff out to make coffee. So I was kind of miserable. <laughs> so I was wanting it to be over, but I was also not wanting it to be over. Um, 
And then it was just weird because I was so close to home. Everything was familiar. Like I'd hiked most of those areas. Um, so like passing familiar territory. And like at that point, like in where Bears Den is really close to where I was doing the trail running at Raven Rocks, which is just across the highway from Bears Den, which is like the nicest kind of overlook up in Northern Virginia. So friends came out for that and brought us, uh, I think they brought Chipotle for dinner that night. So it was just like, it was getting weird because it was like I was hiking, but I was also having more luxuries. I was so close to home and people could, you know, I was reachable. And then when I got to Harper's Ferry, mom and dad were waiting and my little brother. And it was just, it was completely bittersweet as well because we were, I knew that Snacks and I were going to go separate ways. We had stuff planned out. So saying goodbye was really difficult because that's a long time to spend with someone. Um, yeah, bittersweet. Yeah. Now, all told, did you spend about, what, six plus months with Snacks? Yeah. 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 About six and a half months. Mm -hmm. And did, did post-trail depression set in? It did. You know, I thought that I, I was going to be able to dodge that because I had England to look forward to and going and spending that time with my Nana and Grampy. So I was like, I'm fine because I've made plans and I've got something to look forward to. And then I got to England and, you know, caring for a loved one that's near the end was difficult to begin with. And then on top of that, just the reality of kind of like getting off trail and then immediately going into a crazy, crazy situation. So I, I can't compartmentalize it to just the trail. It's all, it was all kind of mixed together. I ate a lot of cake. <laughs> <laughs> now, that I do a, know. Yeah. Take, uh, take us through what, what was a highlight? What was the highlight or a, a highlight from the AT? When you look back, what, what, what kinds of moments are you thinking of? Um, uh, highlights. Gosh, there's so many. But I just loved New England because it's so different than Virginia. Like, the South is kind of all similar to Virginia in a way. The South was cool because it was the beginning, and I was brand new at through hiking, and I, I learned so much in those early days. But then when you get up to New England, man, the scenery changes. And because we'd flipped and then had kind of lost the people that we were hiking around, so we had a bit of a bubble in the beginning, um, even though we are at the tail end of things. And then when we flipped and started hiking south, we got to, um, we're in the Whites, near Bond Mountain, which is near Franconia Ridge, Ridge Line. And we went off trail for the night, knowing that we were going to do this side trail to, I think, I don't know how to pronounce it, G-U-Y-O-U-T, Guyot, Guyot Shelter, mm -hmm. which is yeah. um, a side trail off the AT, Blue Blaze. Um, but we'd heard great things about it. So we did the side trail and I'm sat there. There were a lot of people. I think it was like Memorial Day weekend. And this is like, uh, you can hike in and out from a trailhead nearby. So there were tons of weekend warriors out there. So we were like slightly disheartened because there's like 50 people camping at this spot. But also the views were amazing from the shelter. And I was sat on a rock just taking in the view. And I looked up because I could feel someone staring at me. And it was, his name was Chuck Wagon. 
And he, we'd hiked with him a lot in the South. And he, there he was, stood there, not even on the AT. And my head exploded at that because I'm like, oh my God, this is not happening. I freaked out. I was screaming. People were like, what is wrong with this chick? Um, and it was complete chance, even more than, than the fact that we weren't on the AT at that point, that we were on a blue blaze. He was not even to that point in his hike. He'd met a trail angel like 50 miles back or so who was like, we're going to have the best weather this weekend and it's Memorial Day weekend and there's this beautiful blue blaze to Bond Mountain that overlooks Franconia Ridgeline and I'll take you up there and then bring you back to your spot so you don't miss any miles. Um, and that happened at the same time that we happened to do it and we're going opposite directions. It was crazy. My head exploded, like I said. <laughs> and that, I, I love the, that the views from that blue blaze were amazing. It was like 360 sunset views of Franconia Ridgeline. It was awesome. I love that vision you just put in all of our minds of you standing out there in this amazing view and you, you lay eyes on Chuck Wagon and you just lose it. Spectacular. I totally did. <laughs> nice. Now for our listeners out there who may be unfamiliar with white blazes and blue blazes, what, what is the difference? So white blazes are the AT and pretty much any point on the AT, you can look forward or look behind you and see a white blaze painted on a tree and that lets you know that you're on trail and then any side trails either to overlooks or to shelters or to water sources are marked with a blue blaze okay are there any other different colors of blazes out there mm, good question i don't remember i feel like there might be orange blazes back to a parking lot maybe i don't know can't remember. It's all a blur. Okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. No worries. Blue blazes. No, it's okay. White blazes. There you go. Hey, Zips, are you familiar with Type 2 Fun? I am. Yeah. yeah. Did you encounter any Type 2 Fun out on the AT? Um, I mean, for me, the AT is Type 2 Fun. Through the whole thing. Fun. Normal, normal people don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I learned about type two fun while I was out there on the AT. Someone, someone referenced type two fun and like, what's that? And they explained and there was like, Oh yeah. Misery that you want to do again because you're enjoying the misery. Not that the hike was misery, but there's definitely stretches of misery when you're through hiking. You know, you, you just put it very succinctly. I've never heard anybody put it quite like that, but you're exactly right. Misery that you'd like to do again. That encapsulates it right there. Yeah. That is great. Tell us about a situation where you're out there on the AT and you're thinking, what have I done? What, what, what have I gotten myself into here? Do you have ever, ever have any of those moments? Uh, yeah. Usually when it was raining, <laughs> I hated obviously zips, the Ziploc bags. I didn't want to be wet and that's inevitable on the AT and then putting wet clothes on the next morning that are slightly cold and just ugh, gross. Even in the summertime, like just from sweat, even if it hasn't rained, the, the condensation and the moisture and humidity, ugh, that was the worst. Hey, Zips, that's how I you I never know. got to a point where I was comfortable being damp. That's how you know you're alive, those moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Now, while you were out on the AT, you were also writing for the Trek. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so I applied to blog for the Trek shortly before I left because they had been a huge resource in my kind of researching and looking at what I was getting myself into. Um, and I enjoy writing, so I applied to be a blogger for them. And I did that while I was out there. I was in my tent or in the shelter typing away. I took lots of pictures to jog my memory and then would type up a little blip to get it posted. Usually when I was in town on a zero or extended zero, I'd get the posts up. Um, yeah. And that was fun until, you know, like the last quarter of it when I was cold and then keeping my hands outside of my sleeping situation was difficult. And plus just like, there's no comfortable way when you're in your tent to be typing. Like your your forearms end up going numb and your fingers. So I would type until my hands went numb and then stop. Now do they archive those posts? Are those still are those still up? Can we see them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay. I think it's like w dot the track dot com and then maybe forward slash my name. I don't know. But you'll find me if you Google search zips and the AT for sure. And that, that zips with three S's, everybody. Three S's. <laughs> now, I can't believe that they have not asked you to blog for them while you're down in Antarctica. I mean, that'd be next level. <laughs> yeah, it's a hiking, hiking blog, though. So I don't know that, that it would be their jam. Are you keeping a diary? They haven't, I'm sure they have no idea. Uh, I am not. No. It's, it's difficult. Like I said, time is a hot commodity. And I don't have a lot of it. So I've been really bad about writing. I, I do occasionally because I got to get it out of my head and onto paper into the computer. But I'm, I'm not blogging actively. You know, there's a lot be, of articles. Totally. There's a lot of articles on, on through hiking, a lot of articles on the AT, a lot of books about the AT. I, maybe I just haven't been looking, but I'm not too familiar with any books about McMurdo Station. I mean, that, that might be something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, there's one, I read it while I was down here. <laughs> it's a banned book. It's called Big Dead Place. And, um, cause this is all government, government contractor, National Science Foundation and United States Antarctic program, um, so that they don't want you spilling the tea. Of <laughs> all, <laughs> I feel like it's yeah. We're not. I don't think we're even supposed to blog about it. Really, I'm not sure. Are we not allowed to talk? Are we not allowed to talk about it on the uh, on the podcast? Is my podcast going to get banned? No, I, but someone did mention that when I told them I was making this call this morning. They were like, are you allowed to do that? And I was like, oh, yeah, as long as I don't mention exactly who I just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That would be our little secret. Bad, yeah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. All right. Hey, let's talk about what you did last year, the Tuscarora Trail. Where, Where is that? Yes, yeah. That runs from the middle of Shenandoah National Park up to Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, and it is, so it, it parallels the AT for those. It's 252, 260-ish miles. And it parallels the AT because in that area, they thought 
that the AT was going to be developed, like with housing and stuff all around it. So they thought they would lose that stretch of the AT. So they built this this bypass that was going to be the official AT, but that never ended up happening. So now there's this trail called the Tuscarora Trail. Okay. And um, what time of the year did you do that? Did that in July, which I would not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was, uh, let's see, what was going on? I'm trying to think. I can't think. My brain is hitting the wall. But I was yeah. with my dad. I guess it was, I think I might have messed the timeline up there, but it was post-transplant for my dad. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think I messed my timeline up a little bit. But he he had had his his procedure, his transplant, and, and my brother came to give me some R&R. &R. You know, maybe I didn't mess the timeline up. Sorry. That's um, right. But anyways, I, I was um, on vacation from taking care of my dad, and I went back to that list I'd made when I was trying to figure out where to do my shakedown hike. So, like, playing with how much time I had available, which was 17 days, and what kind of mileage hikes, because I have, like, Maybe it's like OCD that I don't want to go do parts of a trail. I like, I want to do the whole thing if I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so I found the Tuscarora Trail fit in to, to my timeline there. Got it. I think and there's a, a my, bit of my R and R away from dad. I think there's a bit of OCD in in a lot of through hikers. You know, they there's <laughs> a compulsion about this uh, hobby. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. What is what is the next adventure for Zips after the McMurdo Station adventure? Uh, next adventure. Well, I'm actually extending this adventure. So I recently signed a contract to stay for Austral Winter. So I've definitely lost my mind. I think I probably just lost more points on um the crazy scale. I was going to say, because you're, you're now, in, you're now in the 30s. You're in the 30s now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I took a position actually in the store. That's how I'm in the office. I have a key to the office now. I start on Wednesday in the retail store for winter. So I will be one of 150 people left on the continent for winter. Everyone's leaving this Saturday, like all my friends, it's, it's kind of a bit like super sad time. I'm on R and R from work. So I finished my Stewie life. Uh, Thursday was my last day of work and I've been on R and R slash training for the store since then. And I start officially on Wednesday. Today's my last day of training. And then I got a couple of days off again and I'll be running the gift shop slash convenience store for the 150 people that are left here for winter which is going to be such a crazy experience. I'm, I'm curiosity got the best of me. <laughs> We're going to go from 24 hour sunlight to 24 hour darkness. Everyone's leaving They're after there'll be this main body flight that leaves on Saturday takes the bulk of the population. There's a few flights throughout the week and then that's the last one. And then there's one in March and one more flight in the beginning of May. And then from May until August, there's no flights or boats in and out of here. Everything just locks down for the crazy winter that is coming. So you're going to be down there until August. 
I am going to be down here till the end of September. The end of September. In the dark. End of September. In the dark. In the dark until I think about August-ish. And then the seat. So a lot of people will leave in August that have been here for the winter, but my contract runs through what's called Windfly. And so I stay until the new summertime store employees get here in what will either be the end of September or early October. And my, uh, a huge component to staying was that I'd brought all of my backpacking gear and I left it at the, the hub that we have in New Zealand, knowing that at the end of the summer contract, I would have a couple months of decent weather for hiking before winter sets in in New Zealand. So I was going to do like two months of playing around in New Zealand after this. But when I found out I could stay here for the winter and that aligns with through hiking season in New Zealand, I was done. I signed up and I'm going to do the, um, and I never, I have not heard, <laughs> I can't even say the name of the trail that I'm going to do next. I call it the TA. It's the TA. TA Araroa. I, 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 I'm yes, with you the on TA. that. The TA, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's next. <laughs> That is, that is fantastic. Now I don't want to get, I don't want to get spooky. I don't want to put any thoughts in your mind, but 150 people at McMurdo station in the dead of winter uh, with it being dark, that is the perfect setting for a horror movie. I mean, you are a horror book. You, you are, you're, you like to write, you said, so, I mean, you might, you might uh, start thinking about that. Yeah, I'm actually, That's a, that was another, there were so many little pieces to the puzzle of this working out, but the fact that I haven't done any writing, and I really thought that when I got down here, I would be able to do a lot of writing, and then knowing that the winter is going to be just a completely different pace, and then that the job that I took is not being a stewie where you have to look busy all the time. This is like, I can get my work done and then have downtime, so I'm really hoping to write a lot during that time. Okay, maybe we can maybe do a follow-up episode. Maybe we do a follow-up episode. Yeah, for sure. In the depths of winter down at McMurdo. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah, for sure. All right. Hey, uh, Zips, you know where we are right now? Where are we? The pro tip insight of the week. It's time for you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. It's time for the pro tip insight of the week. What do you have for us? Um, I don't even know. I feel, I feel like it's so cliche to say hike your own hike, but I also think it's really important. Um, yeah, make it your own. And I struggled a lot. I thought that when I finished the AT, I would have this huge sense of accomplishment like I did for the Tuscar or not Tuscar, the Laurel Highlands. And and I didn't have that. And I think it's because of all the flipping around that I did and the chasing the weather. I, I ended up with imposter syndrome, thinking that I hadn't really done it, that I cheated by going up to the top and then like just constantly changing direction to chase the weather. Even though I hadn't, I still did all my miles. And then when I did the Tuscarora Trail and I was like on that time crunch and and I had to get it done, and I went in a straight line, I had that major sense of accomplishment. And then from that, I learned that there's more than one way to do it. And there's not a wrong way. There's not a right way. It's just what you do. And it, and whatever you do, it's okay. So hike your own hike. <laughs> I love that. There's not a wrong way. There's just your way. No. That's great. Yeah. That's great. 
All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Zips. Want to thank her for joining us this week. And Marie, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures if you're even able to post from your current location? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and my, whatever it's called, my handle or hashtag is Anne Marie Sphere. So it's my name, A-N-N-E-M-A-R-I-E and then Sphere, like atmosphere, but Anne Marie Sphere. Very clever. I like that. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakymirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Zips, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of uh, outdoor uh, media that keep our listeners connected to the trails. We call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. Do you have a, a good recommendation for us? Uh, I most recently read Pants of Perspective by Anna McNuff, and that's a book on her trail running the TA. And that was a good read. And Anna McNuff, if, if I'm not mistaken, she goes barefoot, doesn't she? She has. Yeah, I don't think she did that on the TA, but she, she has done some crazy barefoot stuff that I can't oh. even comprehend. <laughs> You've got to build up some tough calluses to do some uh, barefoot trail running. Yeah, yeah, that's some next level stuff. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? And that is my daughter who was born in Southern California, grew up her whole life in Southern California, but likes to try and put on some kind of accent. I'm not sure if that's, that's I'm not sure what kind of accent that is, but there you have it. It sounded Australian. I like it. Could be. Okay. Um. But I don't know. I feel like I did a lot of talking. I don't know. I feel like you asked me a lot of questions. I saw a lot of things. I don't think I have anything else. Okay. Weirdest thing that's happened at McMurdo Station? The weirdest thing? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> everything is weird here. Everything. And there's, <laughs> there's a lot of onesies. Like adults walking around in onesies. That's kind of weird. I didn't know that was a thing. It's, yeah, on the packing list, onesies were on that. I did not pack one. I'm an adult. <laughs> I know I know that whatever you tons. packed, though, whatever you packed, you packed in a couple of different Ziploc bags inside of each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror Studio. Any shout-outs to friends and family zips? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Love you guys. Francesca and Jill. Everyone. Everyone back home. Miss and love you all. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the only reason your Tinder date swiped right on you was to learn about through hiking. <laughs> the trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Oh my god! Oh. 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 Everyone
once in a while it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.